0: Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters and experts to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic.
1: And I'm Ron Hansen, also a national political reporter for the Republic, and I recently traveled to the US-Mexico border with a group of lawmakers to tour the situation in Yuma and the border more broadly. It's something of a rite of passage for many Republicans, and for me too. I've never reported on the border before, so I'd like to share what I saw.
0: So today you're going to hear Ron's first-hand account of what he saw on his trip. And he'll really try to give you an inside look at the border and the lawmakers who visited it. It's been a while since we've talked about immigration. So we'll talk a little bit about what this all means for anyone who cares about the prospects of immigration reform. Ron, your trip is notable because this is the first time the republic has toured the border with members of the current Congress. Tell us about it.
1: So on April 16th, I went to Coolidge and then Yuma um, and followed around a delegation led by Republican Andy Biggs, who is um, from Arizona. And he had with him members of Congress from Minnesota, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Louisiana, North Dakota, South Dakota. Um, It was a, a group that had Um, varying degrees of exposure to the border, and for some, it was their first time. For others, it was the first time since the border situation has really sort of escalated in recent months.
0: And this rite of passage of sorts is common. Arizona is a tourist spot of sorts for uh, politicians from elsewhere who want to see what is going on at the border up close. So Biggs often leads these types of groups on a tour of sorts, as he did with your group, right? And you hadn't seen the situation up close in the way that you saw it during this trip.
1: Right. This was a first for me. Um, And there were several surprises that we got along the way that were pretty eye-opening and really sort of reminded me of what's at stake and how intractable really the the politics of this seem to be.
0: So we've talked about your trip down to the border, but it sounds as though there are really four notable moments or areas.
1: That's right. So we began in Coolidge, um, where we saw uh, Fisher Industries put on um, a demonstration of uh, a border wall prototype, actually a couple of them, that were intended to show what is possible with all this. And this is an event that attracted Senator Bill Cassidy from Louisiana, for example, and also uh, Debbie Lesko from Arizona, member of Congress. Um, They got to see these sort of uh, very quickly assembled steel prongs with rebar hanging off the bottom of them, essentially swung into a trench and then that was quickly filled with concrete. And within minutes, really, you went from having what had been open space to something that was, uh, you know, 56 feet of closed, uh, fenced-in territory. And the company that was putting this on was saying that they could do essentially a mile of this kind of construction each day. And they were showing what was at least possible that not only was fast and relatively efficient, but also seemed to meet some of the, uh, the security demands of folks who are concerned about uh, barriers that you can see through but aren't easily passed through. They did it at an 18-foot high level. They also did it at a 30-foot level. So you can get a sense of scale. And it was pretty dramatic to see how quickly this assembly line process seemed to come together. And I know that the members that I talked with were pretty impressed. Here's what Senator Kevin Kramer from North Dakota told me. So, you know, we're looking at 112 up to 160 feet of new wall manufactured basically in front of us while we've been here for an hour. Right. And now the concrete coming in behind it. It's just, to me, that efficiency and that productivity screams urgency. And and the crisis at the border screams urgency. So the second thing that I saw was when we traveled to Yuma and we went out to go see the Colorado River. And as the members of Congress were walking away from that scene, they noticed that there were four people who were sort of walking along the same course that they were, you know, back toward uh, Yuma. And these were four people, looked like they were probably all part of the same family. They went to a neighbor nearby and asked for agua. So it was broad daylight and there were people walking by, you know, as these Republican members of Congress are sort of making their way back. These are people who are already skeptical about, you know, the uh, rigors of border security and, and here they see this kind of situation unfolding, which seemed fairly outrageous to them. Here's what Representative Pete Stauber from Minnesota had to say about all of it. For, you know, people crossed when we were down there, uh, a family, I think, and two kids. Small woods area here, you see you see pants and clothing and, and stuff they were bringing across. And, and we know that, uh, I mean, I could hear uh, groups of people talking on the other side of the Colorado River um, in the country of Mexico. And they're just waiting for sundown, and they're going to wait across the Colorado River.
0: More and more often, it is families or adults with children who are being apprehended. In the past, about 90% of migrants caught by the Border Patrol were single men from Mexico who were attempting to sneak into the country. These days, about 62% of apprehensions are adults with children or unaccompanied minors uh, who are um, entering the country with adults, and they then turn themselves into Border Patrol agents.
1: Right. So that brings us to the third thing that really kind of stood out. Um, At night, a few hours later, we returned to the same spot where the family of four had uh, been seen walking across. We went to the identical spot, and the Border Patrol had uh, about 30 people sitting down in, in the dirt as they processed them to sort of make sense of what they were going to do with all these folks. 30 people, obviously, most of them were children or women. They were quiet, a little uncertain as to what was happening. You know, it, it struck me as remarkable at, like, again, the boldness of this, that this was something that had happened twice in the same spot within a span of hours with members of Congress there to witness all of this. And it was just another day. I mean, you look at it statistically, this is not uncommon for Yuma. It's certainly not uncommon in other ports, points along the border, such as El Paso. Uh, this is a pretty regular occurrence. And to zoom out, apprehensions nationally are on pace to be the largest since 2005.
0: And your trip didn't end there.
1: Right. So then there was the fourth thing that really kind of stood out to me. A few minutes later, we traveled basically down to San Luis, which is not far from Yuma. And we went to a former KFC restaurant that sits about 600 feet from the border with Mexico. It was abandoned, which is what it has been for some time. And what the Border Patrol guides who were with us told us is that this is the restaurant that was purchased last summer by someone affiliated with a drug cartel. They bought this restaurant for $390,000 in cash. And after some amount of time, border authorities figured out that that restaurant, which was not reopened and wasn't a functioning business of any kind, was actually the site of a tunnel that went from San Luis into Mexico.
0: So what did you learn from this trip and what do you think the biggest takeaways are for these members of Congress who are now, you would think, taking what they've learned from the front lines and trying to apply it to some sort of policy prescription or ideas as they head back to Capitol Hill after the Easter break?
1: Right. So there's definitely a sense of urgency. I I think that that was my biggest takeaway is that we've heard crisis and uh, language like that used to describe the situation there. And I think there is definitely some justification for saying we have a situation that we do not have a handle on right now. And you know, I should note that like last month, U.S. authorities processed more than 103,000 migrants. That was the highest one month total in more than a decade. So this is not just a blip. It wasn't a bad day in Yuma. It was part of what we see with this rising influx.
0: This was also the same day that the Yuma mayor declared a state of emergency, not because of the crime or the threats, but just because the city is so overwhelmed by the waves of migrants.
1: That's right. And, you know, we need to emphasize this point that a lot of these folks who are coming in now are people who are seeking asylum. They are traveling from Central America, fleeing violence and famine and other uh, disaster. And this is different than what we saw, say, a decade ago, where this was oftentimes a lot of uh, people, usually men, trying to sneak in, typically from Mexico, seeking employment. And, um, you know, this is really kind of been a game changer in terms of what it requires of the Border Patrol in terms of how they handle these, the manpower required, where they need to be deployed, and and entails the legal system in a way that's also been an adjustment for authorities.
0: So you were also there and you witnessed firsthand, I think you were actually the first reporter to get this in the country, but you heard some misinformation being spread about illness among migrants. Um, you and these lawmakers, as as we just heard from you, saw apprehensions, you saw a drug tunnel. But this idea that uh, somehow tuberculosis uh, was coming through the border uh, with some of these people unchecked seemed to have really gotten the most headlines.
1: Right. And this is something that is sort of disconcerting in its own way. There was a report given to Jonathan Lines, the former chairman of the Republican Party here in Arizona, who is a Yuma resident and and businessman, and just sort of really very well familiar with the situation along the border. And Jonathan passed along information that he had received from the Yuma County Sheriff's Office that there had been 12 cases of multi-drug resistant tuberculosis uh, detected among uh, migrants apprehended in Yuma in recent days, or some period of time. This was pretty disconcerting. Um, it's That's a scary uh, disease. It, it can be treated, but it's something that can be easily spread. And one of the members who was in this delegation is uh, Representative John Joyce from Pennsylvania. And he is actually an MD and was especially alarmed by this. And, and to him, this represented a new layer of of crisis and of uh, concern as well, that beyond the national security, beyond the concern about drugs and economic impact and such, now you have a a health crisis that could be unfolding.
0: But it wasn't true.
1: Right. So the information seemed to be handed down from weeks earlier. There was some dispute as to whether it had been properly diagnosed or remained the current condition at all. And as it turns out, the Yuma County Health Department reported that there was no uh, tuberculosis like that. So it, it proved to be wrong, but not until after Representative Joyce had taken to Facebook and talked to Pennsylvania media about what he learned on this border trip. And he, to his credit, took down the social media posts about this and tried to you know make it clear that this was you know, something he was unaware of. I don't think this was intentional misinformation, but it shows how easily misinformation can find its way into uh, the public realm.
0: Well, and we have an example of the US government actually spreading fake information about the health status of uh, a Guatemalan girl who they said in a press release had the measles. That was not true. They later corrected their news release uh, that day, but not before it had already been picked up by people across the country, and this little girl actually had strep throat. So the takeaway is that this really amplifies fears on, as you said, on a new level.
1: Right, so one of the things that is understandable is a concern, like, is there a health crisis? And the short answer seems to be no, but then it begs the question, well, why do we keep hearing that? Why do we keep seeing these kinds of mistakes or misinformation getting out there? And I think that it speaks to the level of distrust that exists in our current political state that there is this suspicion that it was intentional and that it this is part of a ploy to really sort of further vilify the immigrant community and try and gin up Uh, extra attention around this issue by creating a public fear that shouldn't exist.
0: And this is really a classic form of fear mongering. I mean, you're telling people that these other people who are trying to come into your country, unauthorized, people of color, you're essentially saying, look at all these sick, dirty people, they'll get you sick. And in this case, it just was
1: not true. So the thing that was also kind of striking is that on this trip, which I think legitimately raised a lot of issues about what the border situation is currently like and how that has evolved and, and the current challenges that it presents, it, it seems, you know, emblematic of the frustration of this entire problem that that whole conversation gets hijacked by something that turned out not to be true and drew attention to something that really is sort of a, a side issue and, and a wrong one at that.
0: So speaking of what is true and the big picture, the big takeaways from your trip, I mean, what does this mean for everyday Arizonans who don't live on the border, who are just trying to live their lives, go to work, raise their kids, get to work? What does all this mean for them?
1: I think the biggest thing is that this trip sort of underscored for me that there is no political breakthrough on the horizon. There will not be any main major legislation pursued anytime quickly. This was a delegation of Republicans, people who already felt pretty uh, adamant about a need for greater border security, who were, every time I asked them for what are they willing to do to try and, you know, break through on this, they kept pointing to a proposal that fell apart pretty quickly in early 2018 from Donald Trump. Uh, they weren't sort of proposing anything that sounded new or politically feasible in the current environment. And then there were no Democrats there. So Democrats aren't engaging on this kind of trip. They didn't see what those folks uh, with the GOP saw. They are instead talking about other aspects of this situation from how to manage the ports of entry to what we need to do with immigration more broadly. And again, those are issues that just are not resonating with Republicans. So both sides are talking past each other, and it just really underscored that whatever you see in Yuma is going to continue for the near term.
0: So let's break this down a little bit. Uh, You did not have any Democratic lawmakers on your trip, and Representative Biggs went all over talk radio here in the Valley uh, to... Uh, blast them for not being interested enough to take the time out of their recess schedules to uh, come down to the border. But that's not necessarily the full picture. They might not have been there on this trip, but they've been on others.
1: Right. So uh, Kirsten Cinema, Arizona's Democratic senator, was uh, in Nogales the same day that the Biggs uh, delegation was in Yuma and she met with her own um, set of officials and others who were impacted by this. And you could argue that it was perhaps in some ways a more broad look at this problem uh, with the ports of entry, the business community and such to, to hear what their take was.
0: So my sense is that nothing really is going to change until after the 2020 election. And maybe then it may take some time before real policy changes happen.
1: I think you're right. I think a lot of the members that I spoke with also feel the same way, that there is just no way, given the centrality of border security to President Trump's uh, political agenda as he goes for re-election next year, there's no way Democrats are going to hand him a victory on his signature issue. Given the, the hostility toward the president's agenda and the importance of immigration reform to Democratic policymakers, there's no way that Republicans are going to engage with them and give them a victory on something that they really want. We just saw a 35-day shutdown in January over $5.7 billion for border security, and the president got nothing out of it, and Democrats were content to just sort of leave it there. I think that's sort of the state of play until after the next election.
0: So expect Democrats to complain a lot about this and point fingers at the Republican president and the Republican-controlled Senate for failing to fix this problem. Expect Republicans to point fingers at Democrats for holding up uh, action on this front and for failing to do something about it when they controlled the government under Barack Obama instead of dealing with immigration reform as uh, Obama promised he would do during his first term, they took on health care. And that was a choice that they made. Uh, whether things will change with a Democratic president or a new Republican president or the same Republican president, I think just remains to be seen. So expect to hear a lot more about this topic. We'll be covering it along with our border reporter, Rafael Carranza, and our immigration reporter, Daniel Gonzalez. That's it for today, Gecko listeners. If you have any questions, reach out to me on Twitter at Yvonne Wingit
1: And you can find me at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N.
0: Today's episode was edited and produced by Katie O'Connell, Taylor Seeley, and Kayla White, who helped us navigate a really complex uh, story in a skillful way. Thanks again. We'll be back next Wednesday.
1: I you get your compliments, huh?
0: You'd rather have that than my Twitter DMs. (laughs)